thank you, choir and praise team, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, praise the Lord, it's a great day to be able to worship him together. As they're moving down towards their seats, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 4 this morning. Daniel 4 for our scripture reading today. If you'd like to follow along or just listen carefully as we move through this chapter. Daniel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful in these fantasies as I lay on my bed, and the visions in my night, in my mind, kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the mag uh, magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit was abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. It leaves the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men in my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while, as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which food was food for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt in, and in those in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. 
yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. May the Lord bless his word as we hear it today. Uh, just before we pray, uh, we have some very important prayer requests to remember as a church family. But it reminds me of uh, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And, and we are mourning, but I want us to also be rejoicing. Our missions team returned this week after a successful, safe, God-honoring trip, and we're just thrilled to have them back home, looking forward to very soon. You can't miss a service anytime because they may be serving, uh, sharing at any time, so make sure you're here. You want to hear what happened. Just rejoice in that. And I also, I, this is just more personal, I really have to share one of my former students, uh, standing back, you can wave Gilbert, uh, 12 years ago, had him in class, just heard from him this week for the first time. He's finishing seminary, finished school a number of years ago and worked for a while and then has gone to seminary and is going to be serving the Lord. And I'm just rejoicing today to see one of these young men who was faithful to God and has become, continued to be faithful to God just year after year. And uh, what a grace from God for me to be able to, to see that. Gilbert, so good to have you here. But while we rejoice, we also weep with those who weep. Uh, the Smith family, Gary, went home to be with the Lord Saturday a week ago. 
and his memorial service was here at the church on Friday. And uh, so be praying for Charlotte and a family, the children and grandchildren and uh, just all of those. And for one another here, he was very much loved. And then for the Hancock family, eight hours after Gary passed away, so did Scott. And Scott's memorial service will be at Liberty University Wednesday uh, at noon. And you can see details in your bulletin about that. So be praying for Valerie and, and all of the family there as well as we mourn with those who mourn. That we rejoice for Gary and for Scott. They've never been better. But we mourn for those who are left behind and miss them much. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are king over all, that your dominion is from everlasting to everlasting, that you rule over all generations, that you are God and king, the most high. Thank you as we look at our world around us, and what seems like chaos, that you are God, you're in control, you're not wringing your hands or worrying about what comes next. Thank you that you are our God. We pray for our nation, for our, our president and Congress. We pray for our governor and state leaders, and we pray for our local leaders. And, and Father, we pray not only for all of them that they would be wise in what they do and honoring to you, but for so many who do not know Jesus Christ, may they have opportunity to hear the gospel again and have open hearts to come to know Jesus Christ. Father, we rejoice in our missions team being home. Thank you for the, those who went. Thank you for the opportunity of serving and ministering in, in a variety of ways and, and for the encouragement they were able to give Stephanie. Thank you for her. Continue to bless her ministry and her work. Father, we uh, just rejoice in that. Rejoice, we rejoice also, Father, just in the blessings that you share with us that you don't have to, but you, you do just to once again bring rejoicing to our hearts in the great things that you do. Father, we pray for those families that are hurting, grieving today, for Charlotte and her family and Valerie and her family. We pray for the peace that passes all understanding, the comfort that comes from you and many times from you through your people to them and for joy that can come even in the midst of sorrow. Father, today as we continue in our service and worshiping you, thank you for your word, thank you for our pastor, Tyler, who will be delivering it, give him freedom of speech, and even more, give the Holy Spirit freedom to work through us, through the word, through his speaking, in all of our minds and hearts and lives and wills to change us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. I will add one more prayer request to your list this week. Um, Friday, I will be uh, flying out to Missouri to help uh, preach and teach at a conference, a pastor's conference out there that I've done the last few years. And uh, I am scheduled to fly back Saturday night on the last flight into Lynchburg. And you all know how the Lynchburg Airport is, so... Uh, Lord willing, I'll be here next Sunday, but we'll see what comes uh, from all of that. But I appreciate your prayers for fruit and a productive time uh, there. Well, we are in Daniel 4 today. We just read the text a few moments ago. If you have your Bibles open, you can follow along as we make our way through this. <clears throat> Imagine with me that one day the FBI releases some never-before-seen footage of Osama bin Laden. It's time-stamped in the corner, so you can tell it was recorded the night of uh, the week before he died. It shows him in a bare concrete room dressed in all white, and instead of his customary uh, somber look, he's smiling, and he starts to speak in Arabic. And the subtitles read, I, Osama bin Laden, want the world to know there is only one God. 
And he is not the God of Islam, but the God of the Bible. And says, his name is not Allah, but Yeshua. And then he gets a guitar and starts singing a praise song that he wrote. And it becomes such a popular song that every church in America starts singing it. And we put it in our hymn book. And we're singing it a thousand years into the future. Now, if you think that is the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard, that that would absolutely never happen, that's actually the kind of thing that did happen in the passage that we read this morning. So far in the book of Daniel, chapters 1 through 3, King Nebuchadnezzar has been portrayed as a ruthless, vicious, merciless, idolatrous, and blasphemous man. We didn't read the other accounts, but in 2 Kings 25, when he captured the city of Jerusalem, he captured King Zedekiah and his sons. Do you know what he did to them? He murdered Zedekiah's sons right in front of him, and then he proceeded to pluck out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him in chains and hauled him off to Babylon. History records that Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless tyrant, in many ways the worst of the worst. Which is why it is so shocking then to read the passage in front of us in Daniel chapter 4. The opening words, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on the earth, may your peace abound. It's good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. That's not Daniel writing. That's Nebuchadnezzar writing. And then in verse 3, if you notice, it is actually a poem. Which means Daniel 4.3 could be called the psalm of Nebuchadnezzar. He starts singing a song of praise and adoration to God. Now what on earth? earth would cause a man like that to write a thing like this? Well, the answer to that question is what we found in the rest of this chapter in Daniel chapter 4. Some have said that you could call Daniel 4 the gospel according to Nebuchadnezzar. It'll be a fun lunch discussion today if you want to have it or maybe in your small group when it meets later this week. But take a poll around the table after hearing the sermon today and ask the question, will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? I'll tell you what I think towards the end. I told the first service that, then I forgot to tell them. So I'm going to try to remember to tell you. You'll get something they didn't get, what I think at the end. But you be the judge as we look through the story. This story unfolds in very, three simple scenes. Nebuchadnezzar retells the dream. Daniel interprets that dream. And then God fulfills that dream. It all starts in verse 4. It says that I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house. Now verse 4, watch this, is a flashback. Verses 1 to 3 are like the, you know, the voiceover at the beginning of a movie. Kind of sets the stage of where it's going. That's what those first few verses are. And now we flash back in time, possibly eight years back in time, as Nebuchadnezzar says, now let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you why I'm writing this praise song. Let me tell you why I'm talking about the God of heaven as the one true God. He says, I was chillaxing in my mansion, just at ease. And he says he was flourishing in my palace. Life was good for him. The Babylonian stock market was up and Babylonian crime was down and there was a Babylonian chicken in every Babylonian pot. Things could not be better in Babylon. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar knew that Nebuchadnezzar rules. And when Nebuchadnezzar rules, he knows that life is good. So Nebuchadnezzar is living the dream until he has this dream. 
He calls his advisors to him and tries to get them to interpret it like he did in chapter 2. And, you know, they swing and a miss. These guys are 0 for 2, by the way. I know it's a shocker. They couldn't do it. But they couldn't interpret the dream. So he calls on Daniel. He says, clearly he did it earlier in chapter 2. Maybe he can do it for us again. There is something in this man Daniel, he sees. Uh, the spirit of the gods is at work in him. He has insight. And so Daniel is summoned to explain it. The center of this is verses 10 to 17, which is the dream itself. And the dream has two parts. There's a beautiful scene followed by an ugly scene. The, the dream centers around this towering tree. And the tree is cartoonishly tall. It reaches through the clouds and touches the edge of outer space. It can be seen by every eye on planet Earth. And its branches stretch out so far that it creates a canopy like its own ecosystem. And underneath it, we see that its branches are there for the birds, that its shadow is there for the squirrels, and beneath it, there is plenty of food for the foxes. And they sit, and it's like a scene out of Bambi. There's deer and rabbits, and they're playing and safe, and everything is good. In fact, as I was reading verses 11 and 12, this picture reminded me of something like a Bob Ross painting. You guys know Bob Ross, right? Happy little animals, happy little flowers, and one giant happy tree right here in the middle of this dream. But everything in this dream, it's safe and warm and pleasant and calm. And like Nebuchadnezzar, the tree is flourishing. And the scene, everything is at ease when suddenly an angel comes screaming out of heaven and starts barking orders, chop it down, strip it bare, cut it up. And the tree is left, and when all the branches are removed and the birds bolt off and the deer dash off and the squirrels scamper away, all that is left is this freakish, twisted, splintered stump with an iron band clasped around it, and it's chained to the ground. And then this dream, which is admittedly already weird, gets even weirder. Because the tree becomes a stump, then the stump becomes a man, and then the man becomes a beast. And Nebuchadnezzar in this dream, he sees that this tree, which was a help to all the animals, now becomes itself a helpless animal. And it remains that way for seven years. Now that is one freaky dream, isn't it? I've had some weird dreams, but I've never had one quite that strange. You can see why Nebuchadnezzar was alarmed by what he saw. Well, what's the point of all this? Well, the last line of the angel in verse 17 is important. This is not the interpretation, but this is the lesson. Notice verse 17. The angel says, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. In other words, the sentence, the judgment upon the, the tree that took it from tree to stump, from stump to man, from man to beast, that judgment, he says, is a decree from the holy one. So in other words, this, this, this dream is not, it doesn't just have this ecological message, it has a theological message. And what is the message? Verse 17, in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. The angel says that the point of this dream is for you to know and for all the world to know that the Most High is ruler. That's an important phrase because it's here in verse 17. It shows up again in verse 25 and then again in verse 32. It repeats this central point to the dream. You say, now why is this important? This is an important point for Nebuchadnezzar because remember, Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as the ruler. He's the ruler of his house, the ruler of his palace, 
the ruler of Babylon. He's the ruler of his empire. He's the ruler of the Middle East. He is the ruler of the entire known world. And the angel comes and says, Nebuchadnezzar, the only reason that you rule is because God rules. Do you understand that, he says? God rules. God rules over the realm of mankind, particularly your own kingdom. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn what we should learn too, that God is not a passive observer watching our world. He doesn't simply wind it up like a clock and toss it out there at creation and say, all right, now you guys just figure it out on your own. God does not sit in heaven and come home to his celestial mansion and put his feet up on the coffee table, turn on CNN and go, I wonder what happened in the Middle East today. God's not doing what we are wondering about the world. No, no, no. The, the angel in this dream shows us that he is an active participant, particularly when it comes to earthly kingdoms. And, and Nebuchadnezzar needs to catch the picture, and some of us need to also catch this picture. God is in control, not just up there. He is in control down here. That's the message he needed to get. Now, I know there are some, you know, tenfold hat-wearing people who think that there's clandestine, secret, shadowy governments that are running the whole, you know, every election and every economy and everything in the world out there. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Listen, I'll tell you what I do know. If there is anybody pulling the strings on world events, it's not the Illuminati, it's God. That's what it says. He gives the realm of man to whomever he wishes. And that's because God rules. There's nothing that makes us as American evangelicals sometimes wring our hands and bite our nails and want to pull out our hair than looking at world events and watching all the alerts that come on TV. And it isn't to say we shouldn't be alarmed by them, but we should realize what the angel said. God is the ruler over mankind. There is no government or authority acting outside of God's wishes. God rules. He rules over democracies. He rules over monarchies. And He rules over oligarchies. He rules over communism and rules over socialism and rules over fascism. It does not matter if you have a prime minister or a president or a queen or a king. They are in office because God is in office. God rules. Nebuchadnezzar, you need to understand that. What has been given to you is a stewardship entrusted to you by God. God ruled over Pharaoh and he ruled over Nero. That doesn't mean every administration is God-honoring, but they are all God-given. You say, well, I don't like the fact that God gave us this leader or that leader. Take it up with Him. That's, that's all I can tell you. I'm pretty sure Daniel didn't vote for Nebuchadnezzar either. But he was told he is in the position he's in because God put him there. He may not put who you want in office or who I want in office, but he always appoints who he wants. And that's because God knows something that we so often forget. Proverbs 21, 21, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to find that out. You say, oh, it's impossible. Things can never change as long as this and that. Tell that to the Babylonians. In an instant, in a moment, Nebuchadnezzar would never be the same. By the way, this is why we pray every Sunday for our government and our leaders. It doesn't matter which party or person is in office. 1 Timothy 2 says, I urge that prayers be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. Do you know why we do that every Sunday? We do that every Sunday because, if, if I can say it this way, uh, to borrow from Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. 
That's why we pray. And we pray, every time we pray for a, a governor, every time we pray for the school board, every time we pray for a president, every time we pray for any single person, we are saying to those who are in leadership, you are not the ultimate ones in leadership. Because prayer says we look to God. And God is the one over all the realms of the earth. So that's the dream. And that's the lesson. God rules. So what about the interpretation? Well, Daniel's told to give it. Notice verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded, don't be alarmed by the dream. Let me know. And Belteshazzar said, my lord, if only the dream, look at this, applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Daniel, this guy is remarkable. How on earth can a man, watch this, how can a man be so faithful to God and yet still so faithful to Nebuchadnezzar? How is that possible? How can this man have such respect for the man that tried to kill everyone in Jerusalem? Because what you have here, some would say, oh, th this is like Stockholm Syndrome. This is not called Stockholm Syndrome. This is called godliness. You know why that is? Because Jesus said, if you love those that love you, big deal. What's the, what credit is that to you? I say to you, love your enemies. There was no greater enemy to Daniel than Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, I, don't, I, I want the best for you. I don't want you to be destroyed. I wish this interpretation was somebody else, but it's not. My friends, do we have compassion to those that we disagree with? We don't just want to sometimes win the argument. We want to grind them into the ground, you know. But Daniel, he, he would show us a much different path. And by the way, we don't have to, we don't have to, to the reason we can love our enemies is because we know that our enemies don't rule anyhow. God rules. So Nebuchadnezzar pleads, tell me what it means. So he gets to the interpretation in verse 22, he makes it clear and simple. It is you, O king. This large, prosperous tree, this cosmic uh, uh, thing that you saw stretching out over all this, that big, huge, that, that, that tree, that's you. It is you, he says. You have grown in your empire, in your influence, in your kingdom. It's gigantic. It's, it's cosmic. It's, it's known all over the earth. Now, Daniel could have stopped there. It would have been pretty easy. You are the tree. Woohoo! okay, let's go home now. Right? That would have been simple. But Daniel knows there's more to this dream. And Daniel knows the only thing bigger than Nebuchadnezzar's empire is Nebuchadnezzar's ego. Daniel says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, guess what? Good news is you are the tree. The bad news is you are the tree. He says, everything you saw that happened to the tree is going to happen to you. This is the decree from God. And Nebuchadnezzar is told. By the way, Daniel didn't want to tell him this. Did you notice that? That's why he hesitates in verse 19. He was appalled and his thoughts alarmed him. By the way, sometimes God's people are called upon, like Daniel, to speak the truth in love. And even, as we sometimes say, to speak the truth to power. People don't like whistleblowers, but there are some whistles worth blowing. Nathan did it with David. Isaiah did it with Ahaz. John the Baptist did it with Herod. And Jesus did it with pretty much everybody. And some of us may find ourselves in moments when we have to speak the uncomfortable truth to a boss or a board or a manager or an RA or a professor or a parent or a roommate or a friend, and we need to have the godly courage and faith like Daniel to speak in integrity and truth. By the way, I personally think this is why as Christians we need to be careful about aligning ourselves too closely with any earthly power because if we're not careful we can lose objectivity and we no longer have the standing by which to criticize the good guys 
when they're actually acting like bad guys. Sycophants and fanboys can't be prophets. And sometimes we're called to be prophets. And so the church is called to praise what is good when it's seen and to denounce what is bad when it's seen, no matter who's doing it. And so Daniel gives the news. You are the tree. And then in verse 25, he presses home this interpretation. He says, and all this is going to happen, notice what he says, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler. The, the angel said, the point of the dream is, the Most High is ruler. <laughs> the angel knows that God rules. Daniel knows that God rules. He says the interpretation is, do you know that God rules? And God's going to do what it takes to get your attention and to show you this. God is going to disrupt Nebuchadnezzar's life to get this through. My friends, do, do you understand that? God is more committed to your sanctification than you are. And sometimes He will turn your life upside down and inside out to get your attention and put you into things that you don't want to go through, that are really uncomfortable, that are really difficult. Why? Because it's what he has to do to get your attention so that you will become what he wants you to become. And often, like Nebuchadnezzar, we would we'd say, no, 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 I don't want that, I don't want that. But God says, no, 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 I, I rule, so I'm going to get you where you need to be. And if God is flipping your world upside down, the question is, do you realize that God is the one who rules? And that he is at work even in this for your good and his glory. Well, just when you think Daniel is done, notice verse 27. He says, therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. I, I love this verse. This is not the dream, and this is not the interpretation of the dream. This is Daniel's personal application of the interpretation of the dream. Daniel says, all right, Nebuchadnezzar, you want to know the takeaway? Everybody comes to church and they want, all right, preacher, what's the takeaway? Daniel says, here's the takeaway. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. He says, it is not enough, Nebuchadnezzar, that you know that God rules. What God is calling you to is to live like God rules. He's telling him in, in sort of New Testament terms, he's calling him to repentance. As we said, Nebuchadnezzar was a merciless man, and Daniel says, God is calling you to show mercy to the poor, to the downtrodden, to the marginalized, the people you've stepped on to get where you are. He says, break off of your sin. In other words, turn away from your sin and turn to God. God is trying to get your attention so that you won't continue to go down that path. My friend, is God trying to get your attention? Have things not worked out in your life or circumstances come at you that he's trying to, to expose something you don't want exposed? By the way, we may be the kind of person called at times like Daniel to press the truth of God's word into people's lives. That, that's not an easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. I know people today, oh, I don't, I don't, it's none of my business what they're doing and so on and so forth. Listen. <coughs> All of us have moments like verse 27 when we are called to lovingly, lovingly hold each other accountable. Right. Are there people in your life that you're refusing to confront? A family member? Well, I don't want to rock the boat. A friend? I don't want to mess up that relationship. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Daniel says, you have not been merciful to the poor. You have not pursued right. You've pursued yourself, and I'm begging you in a very respectful way. I'm calling you to repentance, Daniel says. Is there someone that you need to have the courage and faith to confront like that? My friends, make the phone call. Set up the coffee time and lovingly plead with them and appeal to them for their own soul to not continue in sin. So the question is, will Nebuchadnezzar listen? Well, verse 28 says, And all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar 
the king, look at verse 29, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. Now, you can accuse God of a lot of things, but you cannot accuse God of being impatient. Did you notice that? Right? We, we've all got seven days to apply the sermon from Sunday to Sunday. Nebuchadnezzar had 12 months to respond to the sermon. 12 months! Day after day, he had the chance to listen to Daniel's words and to actually repent and to turn from his sins. And instead, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Verse 30, the king reflected of walking around his palace. Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself has built as royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, by the way, what he saw was impressive. I'm not going to lie. His palace was huge. And it adjoined one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. If you've ever heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was the botanical garden that stretched for acres and acres, as long as the eye could see, with the marvels of engineering, this, this practical, like, uh, you know, what, what do they call them? Like an arborarium, whatever it is. This amazing, with flowers and all, this massive, massive. One uh, ancient historian goes on to describe it in 127 pages. That's how big and impressive it was. So what he saw was impressive. But notice more so in verse 30, not just the palace and his power, but notice the pronouns. I have built my power, the glory of my majesty. That was the issue. It was his pride. Are we not all seduced by our own pride? Before we pile on Nebuchadnezzar, brothers and sisters, are we not sometimes guilty of this too? We might not have huge palaces and hanging gardens like the size of Babylon, but we have our own little kingdoms. We have closets stuffed with clothes and fridges stuffed with food and attics stuffed with stuff. And we think, look at all the stuff that I have. And we can be very tempted to find ease in those things and to find comfort in those things. Think, well, that's going to keep me secure. That's going to keep me safe. If I just have enough money or just enough degrees or enough of, of, of a promotion, those are the things that are going to keep me right and keep me safe. And God says, are you sure about that? I ask you what Jesus said, what does it, get, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? This man had the whole world, and yet he was filled with pride. And what? The Bible says pride goeth before the fall. Listen, the only reason you rule over your house and rule over your job and rule over your little estate and rule over your 401k and whatever is because God rules over you. And he has granted to you as a stewardship. He's bestowed it upon you to use it in humility for Him and His glory, not for your own kingdom, not for your own power. And Nebuchadnezzar refused to listen. So a voice came from heaven, sovereignty has been removed. Verse 33 describes what happened next. It's a, a freakish undoing of his mental and physical state. Nebuchadnezzar devolves into this sort of psychological meltdown, it seems, or we might say today. It's a case of him living like an animal and sleeping like an animal and eating like an animal and acting like an animal and smelling like an animal and becoming like an animal. Which, by the way, is possibly one of the most incredibly humbling things a person could go through. I loved what one commentator said. He summed it up so beautifully. He said, The king, who thought he was a god had to be made like a beast so that he would know he was only a man. That's it. He refused to humble himself, so God did it for him. Sometimes God has to knock us down a few notches, does he not? To get our perspective. To bring us low, to bring us to the point that we look up to him. My friends, listen to me. You've been through these moments, and maybe some of you are going through right now, moments that seem so horrifying and terrible when maybe your weakness gets exposed or your sin gets exposed and other people find out or your, your family or your coworker or a friend and you think, oh no, that is embarrassing, that is terrifying, that is horrible. Listen to me. That 
is God's mercy. Because for him to let you continue in secrecy, to continue in that, is to run headlong into judgment. And it was the mercy of God that God brought and exposed Nebuchadnezzar and brought him to this point. So my friends, if God is bringing you to that point in his life, don't push against it. You say, but I don't like to feel conviction. The only thing worse than feeling the Holy Spirit's conviction is the moment you stop feeling his conviction. To be humbled by God is a mercy of God. It is a gift of God. Don't run from it. But do what Nebuchadnezzar does. He hits rock bottom in verse 38, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. That's what we should do. To stop looking. What was he doing on his palace? Looking down his nose at everybody else until God brings him to the point that the only place he can look is up at God. God does that. If he did it here, he'll do it again. And he brings us to a point when maybe our health or our job or our relationships, everything seems to fall apart and God is bringing us to that point. See, the lesson of Daniel 4 is, is, as the dream said, God rules. But the, the message is this. Since God rules, you can either be humble or you will be humbled. That's the only two options. You can be humble before him or you will be humbled by him. If not in this life, most certainly in the next. Because there is coming a day when every knee will bow. My friends, it is a gift of God when he allows us to be embarrassed in our weakness and our shame and our fear and our guilt. Why? Because that is the pathway that we are all to walk. In fact, I, as I look at this, I'm reminded that in some sense, Nebuchadnezzar is, Nebuchadnezzar is an antichrist. Right? Here was a man who thought he was God, and so he exalted himself until he had to get humbled. Jesus is, is God who became a man and what? He was exalted because he humbled himself. He came to earth as a man and not just a man but a servant and not just a servant but one who died and he didn't just die but Philippians 2 said he died a death on the cross. He died for our sins. A punishment that he didn't owe, that he didn't deserve but for us. For our pride and our conceit and our selfishness and our greed. He went to the cross to bear that for us. And then through the resurrection and his ascension, he has now been raised to a name that is above every, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. And we are called not to walk in Nebuchadnezzar steps that says, I'm just going to grit it and do it and nobody's going to know. No, but we are to walk in the steps of Jesus. To humble ourselves. And to know that those who humble themselves will be exalted. I remind you, my friends, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not the rich in spirit. Not those who had it all figured out. But at those who realize of their brokenness like Nebuchadnezzar. He says, my reason returned to me. By the way, repentance is the most sane thing any human can do. Did you know that? It's the most sane thing that you can do is to turn from your sins and to turn and plead with God's mercy like Nebuchadnezzar did. And what did God do? He says, everything was restored to me, my sovereignty as well. I love how one preacher put it. He says, let's remember that pride goeth before the fall, but let's also remember God goeth to those who are fallen. He comes to those in our, our lowest point. That, that, that point that you don't want to be, my friends, that is the beauty of the gospel is that God saw us in the gutter of our own selfishness and pride and what? He climbed down in the gutter with us. And he died for us. And he shows us the way that we should live. So Nebuchadnezzar doesn't return to his old self. He returns to his new self. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt not of the king of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in 
pride. I forgot to tell this first service, I told you, so will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? Well, I'll put it this way. If he was walking through this back door at our church and handed me chapter 4 as his testimony, I would baptize him. (laughs) But my friends, the real question of Daniel 4 is not will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, it's will we see you in heaven? That's the question. This story lives on, not for Nebuchadnezzar's benefit, but for ours. And my friends, the call of the gospel today, the call of the word today, is not to continue in pride, not to continue in living and thinking that you can handle and manage and do it all on your own, but rather is to come with a broken spirit and a contrite heart and with empty hands to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Knowing that Christ is there, with all of your weakness and all of your guilt and all of our selfishness to show us his grace. My friends, at the end of the day, God rules. So you can either today be humble before him or be humbled by him. And I call you to choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of Daniel 4. Because, Lord, every one of us knows that at the bottom of virtually all our sins is the sin of pride. The sin of thinking, I know what's best, and I'm in control, and that I can do it myself. God, would you please break our hearts and would you please bring us to a point of humility? Thank you for the Daniels in our life that help us to see our sins and our blind spots. They are a gift from you. And may we have the courage of Daniel, some of us even today, to make that phone call and to have that hard conversation to lovingly call a brother or sister to repentance. And may each of us see ourselves as walking in the path of Christ, who humbled himself. Give us that same mind, O Lord, we pray, that we might be true ambassadors of your mercy and your grace this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen.